Quick, uh, let's introduce you. Or actually, I guess I should first introduce the shows people are listening to, right? Because that's what what conundrum, right? Yeah, I don't know <laughs> where to start. Uh, um, so uh, this is between Lewis and Lovecraft correspondence, um, where Hannah and I, you know, we'll we'll pick a guest um, and sit down and just chat about books and authors and stories and just nerdy stuff. I talked about Magic: The Gathering with somebody. <laughs> So that was fun. Um, and today my guest is David Carmichael of Fables of Refuge. You're, Hi, everyone. You're the director, producer, editor, everything, right? Yep. Along, uh, along with your with your girlfriend, Allie, he, correct? Yeah, so Allie helps me uh, organize some thoughts. Uh, she helps me with social media. Mm. Um, she helps me with some of the scheduling. And... Uh, but when it comes to the technical stuff, uh, it's really all hands on deck yeah. for me. Yeah. So how stressful is that for you? You're doing a live show on Twitch, correct? <clears throat> uh, we want to be doing a live show on Twitch. Oh, okay. And that's what we've been building up to. It Because we're doing a multi-camera setup, and this uh, this will quickly go into the weeds for everyone listening. <laughs> And then it'll come right back out. Yeah. It's a multi-camera setup. So kind of like a Zoom call, you're seeing everyone's camera at the same time. Right. Uh, those are all f- HD 4K cameras. And they have to go from the camera, from a cable, into a capture card that's in your computer. But you need a high enough resolution capture card with enough ports uh, that support a strong enough cable. Uh-huh. And that all adds up on budget. I think it's more and more expensive. Yeah, because a capture card is like, a cheap one is like $200, right? Yes. And that's a cheap <laughs> one. That's like... And that's one camera. Yeah. And one input. And your computer can only take so many devices plugged in at a single time. And so you run everything off of one ca- one computer? I'm about to, right? For the longest time, we've been recording in camera, and then I have to edit it all together. Oh, wow. And this is, each episode's about three hours to four hours long. Okay. And so every minute to those three to four hours, there's an amount of work put in is, depending on where in the video, three to 10 minutes. Oh my God. Of work. (laughs) Yeah. Holy cow, man. Um, You also got to consider you need to capture five to six microphones at a single time. Right. So you need one capture device or else you have to go around to different devices and like, uh, what, where's this audio file? Where's this audio file? So I had to make sure I get a good enough uh, audio capturing device that captures everything at a good quality <laughs> that yeah. can also future-proof output for streaming. Sure. Um, on top of that, how do you light a round table without having any lights on top. Yeah, you don't want 
a light behind one person to shine down on another person because then the cameras would catch that and you'd probably blind out. Um, okay. Uh, sorry, my Zoom told it's me something good. pointless. Uh, you'd be blinding out the camera that's looking at the person. So, right. yeah, that's a logistical nightmare, man. Yeah, and all on top of that, I don't have a, uh, uh, a workshop or a, a filming studio. I have my living room, <laughs> which is 20 foot by 20 foot. Right. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. I mean, it's cool that you're, you're just going for it and like it, it's, um, genuinely, uh, uh, inspirational not to be overwhelming and mushy gushy, but like, it is cool that, that you're going after this and you're putting so much thought into it and you experiment and you try, you know, and, and see what works, what doesn't work. I think that's super cool. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember when we started, we had like, I was like, uh, maybe it needs to look better with backdrops behind everything. And so in filmmaking, the rule is every square foot is vital space. Sure. And I just ate up that square footage right away. <laughs> yeah. Two episodes later, we got rid of half the backdrops. <laughs> yeah, it just made it a little bit easier. Um, and we just slowly used more and more of the whole living room just to open up the space when filmmaking uh filming it yeah and now as you can kind of see there i'm prepping to put the last backdrop on the wall oh is that that, what that is yeah and uh i'm gonna be mounting this big chinese lantern light on the wall somewhere so that way i don't have a giant stand right uh i don't use tripods anymore i use heavy metal uh microphone stands so they're monopods, but right. they're strong, heavy base. So they're, uh, the center of gravity is also lowered. Yeah. And uh, I just put a tripod head on top, and they're just easy to move around. Huh, that's cool, man. Uh, I had to dig around for the right camera because you can't cut. Most like DSLRs and stuff, they cut at 30 minutes. Yeah, I man. That. I've been trying to figure that out forever. It's a tax code. Is that's it really? All, yeah, you... The manufacturer either is going to get taxed as a photo camera, so you have to cap it at 30, or it's a professional broadcast camera that is unlimited. And then they have to pay more yep. for the production of it. That's crazy. I, I know that a lot of people go for like uh, the GoPros because they're small and they, they film wide. Yeah, I, I use the GoPro for uh, insert angles so like on the minis or dice uh-huh. um but i just i knew i could get better video quality than a gopro so i was looking at panasonic or sony and i lend into sony uh-huh. for a budgeted camera that has unlimited recording even if the battery life is bad i can still plug it into the wall okay all right and so everything's shot at 4k so there's room to fix something later yeah and so, um, I love this. I, we could talk about tech stuff all day, uh, hey. but let's, let's dive. So we were talking about how you, you, you've start, you were using, um, like cinematic language, like mm-hmm. language with video and we were lending into, uh, the office parks and rec. Oh is yeah. That, is that like, do you, do you watch a ton of TV and, and sitcoms? Not that much anymore. Um, right. cause I can catch the story. <laughs> oh yeah. Once you, once you learn the formula of sitcom, it's, it's there. It's, yeah. It's really hard to get out of it. Um, 
and it, it's it kind of sad because sometimes you just want noise for the sake of noise. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mostly lean now uh, to the occasional movie where I sit down, uh, ignore the structure, work to ignore the structure just to have a good time. <laughs> Or I will be watching essentially non-scripted content like D&D podcasts, just podcast right. conversations. Um, that's really, that, that stuff is the best for me because I can't keep up with it. It's, sure, it you're is, not going to be able to guess where they're going because mm-hmm. they're random people who can do random things at any time. Correct. Yeah. I totally get that. Um, and I think that's why I've, I've started enjoying watching, uh, things like, like your show fables of refuge. Um, dimension 20 has been a big one because they're phenomenal, right? They have a, Uh, they have a, they have a huge team to pull that off. Yeah. I was watching the, the credits list. Cause I mean, I'm thinking, okay, they got, they've got a, a good setup. They've got some good lights and probably, I don't know. I'm guessing, um, some shotgun mics above pointing down at each person. So you probably have a sound person and a camera person and maybe an assistant for each of those or something. So maybe four people behind camera. But then as, as the credits are rolling, I'm like, oh my God, this is this is a TV show. Like this is a yeah. full on show. College Humor goes all out on their big shows. Yeah. They, they got scripties, they got directors, they got a cameraman per camera. Um they they're shooting 4k so they can punch in cinematically they have a full set they have gaffers they do have shotgun mics above as backup mics but everyone else is also wearing lavs oh okay okay they have a top light and then a key light it's it's a whole sun that sits above the table That's crazy. Have you been able to see this in person or just have you seen behind the scenes? Behind stuff? the scenes stuff. Okay. Uh, when figuring out Fables of Refuge, it was how is everyone else doing it? Right. Yeah. If I need to know. It's it's like learning filmmaking all over uh, or learning how to write or uh, learning how to play a video game. By, you do it by watching other people do it. Yeah, you have to learn the rules of the yeah. system, the rules of the genre, and even though it may feel cliche or like essentially copying, you have to learn that process then to break it and make it your own. Yeah, dude, I, I agree. And and that's been the biggest thing with me getting my studio together has been, uh, you know, I'd watch some of the Joe Rogan stuff. I'd watch Critical Role. I'd watch... Um, what was the other one? Um, shoot, I forgot. Uh, I stopped watching it a while back, but there, you know, I'd watch whatever podcast I could and I'd look, okay, what is their mic? You know, what are they plugged into? And I'd go online and see what nerds on Reddit would break down the, the, the gear that they'd have. And so a lot of what I've done in my own production has been just kind of amalgamating what I've seen other people do and what I think would work well. That's honestly the process of most artists. Like absorb what you want from the people that you admire and no one person's going to admire the same detail from the same person enough to make the exact same thing as you. Right. And therefore it now becomes something new. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean this, you were right earlier. It's the same thing with writing too. You 
the more you read, the better you're going to be at, at writing because you're going to see other people's um, abilities and, and how they structure a sentence or format a story. And you're going to take a little bit of that. And uh, a huge part of my writing came from reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the way that he can start with one idea of something and kind of work around it with humor and then get to a very serious note in it, but then still laugh about it. Like he, he did it so weird and it's so good. And like one of the best ways uh, the, one of the best spots you can see that in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is when he's talking about um, this whale and a pot of flowers that just spontaneously come into existence and they start falling towards yep. the ground. And the way he does it, it's like, it's hilarious and it's so funny. But then there's the the existential realization, like the, the, the whale's going to die. Like it's, it is it's go it was born to die and so um i always liked that and so i started trying to put that into my own writing yeah and it's also like you can't even if you're like just like that the humor that leads to a serious topic you may say oh i'm not good enough to do that well maybe not yet also that's how they're using that essentially a tool to communicate an idea, you're going to use that t- exact same tool differently. Yeah. Because you have your own uh, limitations and your own uh, skills that you excel at. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, you can, like, I think uh, somebody said, um, it was a comedian who's like, everybody likes me for my style, but my style is just me impersonating this other comedian. Yeah, <laughs> and it just came out wrong. It came out the way that I do my impersonation of that comedian, and now that's my style. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that comes out as as everybody. We're all just trying to impersonate people we like. We just end up doing it wrong, and we make it our own. Yeah, and then an important part is to take a step back and look at how people are interpreting that, and then kind of build off of what that interpretation what that is receiving Mm -hmm. so it's like okay if to make me better at this thing is copying and taking ideas from x y and z now people other than people saying i'm copying because there's always (laughs) because there's always going to be people who say that um you're going to also have people who go who come up with this brand new idea based off you doing that right and a good responsibility as an artist is to acknowledge that and see where that goes as well as continue evolving yourself yeah and that kind of becomes a uh, a center point for how the audience and the fans see you and how you see yourself right yeah that's great um so uh we're we're chatting today because you have fables of refuge is is your big project it's like your main thing i mean your entire living room is dedicated to it at this point um we're we're shooting a season of a new show where i'm being the dungeon master for the very first time ever really yes that's awesome. That's exciting, man. And I'm putting it on camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And so, so why- I'm, te- I'm texting Jarrett like right after we play. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm saying how like, oh, it's exciting to have NPCs with magic. But yeah. then it's like, shit, they all have magic. <laughs> they all. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. I mean, there's so many jokes about being a DM and it's like everything you've prepared and it just goes right out the window. And- the, yeah, it, it does. Like it's, I prepared one. It's important to prepare. All, like it's such a mixed bag. Like you want to prepare for clearly you want to prepare for yourself to be able to answer any question that comes up. Right. Yep. And that, that has a lot of thinking outside of the city, outside of the world. Right. Um, the, the, thinking about things that happened thousands of years ago to make the infrastructure and yep. lay the foundation for the city so that when they do go down that one sewer tunnel and land up, you know, end up in a temple of, you know, a forgotten God, you have that ready, you know? Like, yeah, but you don't need a, every detail of it. You just need the idea of it. Yeah, something ready to go. Someone said this is, um, if you're going to write something out, read it. Because if you try to memorize something that you wrote out, you're going to stop yourself because you're not getting it right. Yeah. So write the the macro and um, just spitball the micro. Sure. Yeah. Just come up with the small stuff at, at the time when it's necessary. And I absolutely love the fact that I, whether or not you put it on the internet as a dungeon master, just putting like a little audio recorder mm-hmm. next to yourself when you DM is a game changer idea because oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to go back and see all these ideas and notes yeah. that yeah, I, I just spitballed and that. didn't write down. Yeah. That's such a good idea. Um, I'm probably going to do that. <laughs> I'll set up my phone or something to record. And you become your own podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah, trust me. <laughs> I, I have had to fight the temptation to do a Dungeons and Dragons podcast for a very long time. When, when we began this journey on Fables, uh, Jarrett and I got to say hi to Freddie. Freddie uh, Freddy, Wong. Freddy, Freddy Wong. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, oh, you guys are doing cameras, not just audio? Because <laughs> he has his mm. own show where it's just audio, right? Yeah, and audio, like, the audio side is already hard enough. with Because with audio, you can edit so much, so seamlessly, yeah. and make it in a perfect experience. With video, it takes so much more work and such a different set of talent and skills. And if you're not sharp on that, you have to work on it. So, okay, I do have, I mean, I'm going to go into the podcast question. Why, why did you decide to do video over doing just an audio podcast? Because I've I spent most of my adult life studying filmmaking. Uh, in 2012, when I first moved to uh, California, um, I had two general ideas. And one is that podcast is going to replace radio Two that uh, YouTube and video filmmaking is going to kind of like take over. Not replace, but take over. I was like, bold assumptions from 
a snarky kid who just has weird ideas. <laughs> it's almost 10 years later, and I'm pretty accurate on that prediction. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. I mean, radio's still around, but most radio shows also do their own podcasts. Yeah, and also compare a radio show, an, an, an average radio show with a po- like Joe Rogan podcast. Sure. And they've all had to amp up their game to compete. Because, yeah, exactly. And then, and then you're also not wrong. Most like my wife and I, we watch more YouTube than anything else because we get the content that we want there. You know, she gets to watch whatever cooking shows she wants or, you know, people who travel and eat different foods. And then I get to watch pod, you know, podcasts and D and D and whatever we want. We don't have to watch a lot of commercials and we can type in at any time what we feel like watching yeah um so you know i the other day i was so i've been working out of town and i'm at a hotel and i have to watch if i watch anything i had to watch a tv and i mostly just listen to podcasts but while i was um you know just kind of cooking or something i had the tv on in the background and it started playing um the not not america's funniest videos but something along that line and it was just a bunch of you know animal videos and i'm like i've seen all these on youtube like they're literally just taking youtube clips and yeah. putting it on tv now this is yep. insane uh, why have people submit stuff when you can just go take it and the rules say they can because it jumps to a different medium yeah that's nuts so i get so you you like working with video more than just audio or is there is there another reason why video itself is more is it more rewarding? I think it's because I, coming up as a filmmaker, video is more rewarding to me. I also understand it. And I was like, I can do this if I know the right tools. If right. I have the right tools, I can plug it all together and make it work. And making a podcast, well, a and d show is essentially a podcast. Sure. Uh, making a podcast, you just need the microphones. They have to be good. Yeah. And you also, and I'm not that conf. I'm now more confident in audio than I was when I started. Sure. But I was like, how it's super limiting just to stay on audio. Right. I need to have video with it to hit multiple platforms. And the video then has to do like look good it and i think a lot of artists get this wrong is good the quality of your work is not depicted by the artist but by the viewers of the art Hmm. like you can make something that you think is crap but a bunch of people look at it and their lives are changed by it sure yeah i mean just look at um I was going to say some cult classic movie that people love for some reason. Evil and Dead. Yes, Evil Dead. Thank you. Thank you. Evil Dead is a perfect example. That should not be around anymore, but it has affected people's lives and it's a classic now. People love it. There's a song made about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> um, so going back, 
uh, you you decided to go with video, you find it more rewarding. And I totally understand that. I think one of the reasons why I stopped doing video after I, because I got a degree in video and film production, but it was just excuse after excuse for me. Like, oh, I don't have this thing, so I can't make this video. Oh, I, I'll try this video, but this one thing didn't work. And I just, I don't want to do it if that, if it doesn't work. It's also expensive. It's so expensive. Yeah. So, so yeah. audio, once I got into the realm of podcasting, like I made it work. I was passionate about it to a point where the, the first show I did was with my older brother. We just argued about nerdy stuff. Um, it was called, uh, we speak common. Um, there's now another show called we speak common, by the way, which I didn't know about, but we were the original. Um, and we, (laughs) we would, I would like, I, I borrowed a mixer that I've never given back to somebody. And, um, and we had these really crappy microphones, but no microphone stands. So we set up his table and then put books and then a couple of cups on top of the books and set our microphones inside of the cups so that we could make, you know, these, these uh, stupid microphone stands. And like, that's the sort of thing where with video, I'd have been like, I can't do this. You know, if I don't have everything perfect, if I don't have all of this, then I'm not going to do it with podcasting. I just made it happen. That's a thing that when you make a vlog series uh, again and again and again and again and again, every episode, you learn the difficult and painful thing uh, of good enough. Yeah. And then you know how you learn the uh, how to utilize the tool good enough. Um, it's does the idea the general basic form the silhouette of the idea is it communicated yes mm-hmm. good good enough next <laughs> move it on yeah um so it's like are are they lit yeah do we see their eyes because that's important for video we need to see their eyes it's part of the medium yeah we right. see their eyes great good <laughs> yeah good enough, good enough. Yeah. are they are they in focus yeah Good enough. We'll get better lenses later. Right. Um, and then it's like, eventually we get LED lights put on the ceiling, and mm. it's like we can change colors. Great. Yeah. Now we're able to communicate some form of emotion. Yeah. Be- beyond, like, cinematically tell you an emotion right. versus different actors being able to sync up. Um, no, when we started, when I started Fables, it, it was like, I owned none of the equipment. Oh, were you renting it or borrowing it? Borrowing it for free. So every week that we shot two days before or the day before I had to go all the way across Los Angeles, grab the equipment from my friend's studio all the way back. And I don't own a car. So I had to always, uh, rent, uh, do an Uber or something with a bunch of gear. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's ridiculous, man. But, but you made it work. Like you were Mm -hmm. passionate about it and you, you kind of, it didn't matter what it took. You got it. Yep. Uh, and, and now I, I only own like 70% of the stuff. <laughs> so, that giant light that you have hanging That giant seat. light is one of them. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So let me ask you this. Why Dungeons and Dragons? 
There's a lot of different game systems out there right now. Some of them are becoming really popular, like uh, Pathfinder 2E just came out, so that's mm-hmm. popular. Uh, Monster of the Week, to me, is probably one of the most uh, interesting-looking systems for, for gaming that there is. Um, why Dungeons & Dragons? Um Cause it's the times, man. <laughs> uh, I, I the story of me falling in love with Dungeons and Dragons. It, it's just fantasy role playing game. Sure. Uh, most the the first few times I played it was just Pathfinder One E, uh, but collectively we just say Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Because <laughs> for whatever reason that stuck in your brain, other than Pathfinder. Well, uh, yeah, because D&D has been around for 50 years now. Pretty much. And Pathfinder has been around for 10. Yeah. So there was definitely a, uh, that stuck in. And playing fantasy role-playing games uh, t- table in a tabletop setting was, for the first time in my adult life, as if I was a kid going through the... F- uh, the front doors of the Renaissance Festival with my dad, mm. like that transformation, that excitement, that like I'm, I'm like I am entering a place of not just like safety but purity, like something yeah. that's super special to me. And that feeling came back, and I just like I can't let you go, especially with my life being focused and obsessed with filmmaking to sure. such an extreme end. I would throw away so many hobbies because it's just, it's taking time away from filmmaking. It's taking yeah. time away from storytelling. Uh, like I, I, as much as I love Skyrim, I don't like playing <laughs> Skyrim because it takes I, too much time. it takes too much time and I can't share that experience with people. Mm. Uh, and I know you can play now like online or world of Warcraft, but it's not the same experience, nor is it like, when you're playing Skyrim, at a certain point, your brain starts making its own storyline for that character. Yeah, man. That's and actually one of that's the That's Dungeons why, and Dragons. Yeah, it's <laughs> why I don't like Skyrim as much as the older Elder Scrolls games. Because in the older Elder Scrolls games, you choose a specific class and style of play, right? So like Oblivion or, or Morrowind. And you play the game that way, right? Mm-hmm. And so I love that. And, and especially because I was a D&D kid, like, I was like, yeah, freak yeah, dude. I'm going to be a knight this time, or I'm going to start over, and I'm going to be a wizard this time, you know, and, and try and try again. Whereas Skyrim, it's like, you just get good at everything eventually. So there's yeah. no, like, there's no pick and choose or story, like, because I do the same thing. I'm like, I got a whole backstory for this video game character. Yeah. It's, like, I remember the first time I played Morrowind was, I was an orc, and there was a swamp nearby the town. I was like, all right, I'm moving into this swamp <laughs> and I'm stealing stuff to make my home. And I'm like curating my rock full of plates. Yeah. And my dad's like, my dad's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm moving into the swamp. This is my home. He's like, you know, you could just steal someone else's house. <laughs> what? And, and he's like, you can't, you know, there's a whole world beyond this. I'm like, what? No, it's just like a level. Yeah. And then he shows me a map and he's like, this little dot is you. <laughs> Dude, I know that was, that was insane. And and I think it's crazy that like I got into Morrowind around the same time that I got into Dungeons and Dragons. It was around, I think I was around 13 
when okay I, yeah and i i think it's it's crazy how like i would take the idea of playing morrowind and it's like wow i'm this tiny person here and there's this whole map and you get like the actual paper map and you see how big everything is yeah and then i would just do that in my own world for dnd because i wanted to make my own games yeah um I did the same thing for my DMing series, uh, and uh, I built a whole continent, <laughs> and we were only doing one building yep. in on an island on the side of the continent. You're not even touching the continent. <laughs> did you know that that's what you were going to do, or did you build yeah, I, and go like, oh, we're going to be on this island? Well, no, I built the continent and the island was part of the continent. And I was like, oh, this is a whole kingdom. They're this, 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 and this. Great, cool. And then I focused on, because I have a few games coming up that takes place on different spots of the continent. So I was like, I have to fill in some spaces here. Yeah. And then playing with Ali on the solo campaign, it honing in on her character, move the character to a specific spot slowly by uh, piece by piece. And then on top of that, it's like, okay, I have a a general story idea. Yeah. Player character, first episode, second episode. And I'm also, because I've never DM'd before, I'm learning pacing. Sure. And my pacing. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, two episodes in, we're still in the same building. <laughs> I'm going out of this stupid building. <laughs> I'm going to have to now do what I now believe is the craft of DMing is take all this planning that you had and now start reassigning it. Yeah. To uh, blend in to what you've started. Yeah. So it feels seamless to the experience that you're having with your player. Because you as the DM, you've created a world and a history and a story, but that story doesn't actually exist until it's played out. Right. And that's the thing that I had to learn. And I mean, it literally took me almost like, it probably took me 15 years of playing as a kid, not playing for a while in college and then getting back into it and starting almost completely over with 5e is like, I... I was like, no, this is the story. This is the story that you guys are playing. Not, okay, these are the elements for the story that I want to tell. And then as the players play, we I can throw in the elements and then the story develops as we all play together. And then the hard part is uh, you have a bunch of other games that are going to be other seasons with different players in mm-hmm. the same world. So you can't, one destroy the world (laughs) Two, you want a thread a something to cross pollinate between the seasons sure yeah because everybody loves a callback yeah and so and you want like where's the story going and it's like where is this in relationship to the last thing we just watched yeah like you don't want someone in germany doing something and staying in germany and then cut to somebody in California and, and there's no thing in yeah, relationship. Absolutely zero relation in that. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's kind of like going to uh, the walking dead and then uh, the fear of the walking dead. Uh huh. Like the first question is, where is this in relationship? 
and then you want to do fan service in stitching it together in at least a little bit of a way. Yeah. And there becomes a nonlinear story in some way. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think that's great. And that's what I've been, you know, I haven't been able to play for a while now with, with everything that's going on. And even then we've been playing in uh, curse of Strahd, which is, you know, a module for D and D. I'm only saying that I figure, you know, maybe our listeners don't. Um, I know what a module is. I don't <laughs> read modules. Yeah. Well, it, for me, it was, it was a break because I was getting too overdone with my own homebrew game and my own, you know, creating and crafting a story. I wanted to see how professionals crafted their story a little bit. Um, so we did, we've been doing curse of Strahd for like a year and a half and, um, and I'm, I'm tired of it. <laughs> I'm tired of following this book. It's boring to me. And I'm trying to push the player characters like, okay, let's get to the end of the shit. Come on, let's go. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. We want to go look at that cave. And I was like, the cave has nothing to do with this. But I've got it prepared, so let's go do the cave. You know, I, and and there's that. But, like, I I used to do that where I'd do a whole continent. I'd do a whole world and a continent and then go down and down and down. And what I, what I decided um, – while I was doing Curse of Strahd is I saw like there's they populate these little towns so much that you can spend forever in them. You can spend each session doing something with somebody different and never leave the town. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I, I started working on this town and it's surrounded by other towns and it's surrounded by a kingdom. And then that kingdom is in turmoil. Um, But you're, but that's not the point. That's just the backdrop. The point is this town, you know, this small town of a few hundred people and having a person for every, you know, and I, and I looked at my hometown where I live and like, okay, there's three gas stations. What would a gas station be in a fantasy medieval right. world? Maybe like a feed store and like a stable for your horse. Okay, so there's a couple of those. Okay, there's a few churches in town. Okay, those are temples. So I basically just turned my hometown into a D&D town. Smart. And then I'm taking all these real life things and turning them into fantasy things so that when my character, when my players come in and they go, well, we want to go into that house. Be like, okay, let me pull that open and I have everything ready for you. Yeah, and it's... It's also interesting where it's like you make, I think the the thing that I need to work on is better NPC prep and NPC building. Sure. Because all I do right now is a name, uh, a a name, race, gender, age, and if they're uh, an occupation or a class of magic. Sure. So that's all I do. And from there, I just kind of have a mental association to that line of text. Like, oh yeah, I remember that character. Yeah. And, but then when the player starts interacting with that NPC more before I have time to go and prep more for that character. Yeah. Like I, I, I think that's the the hardest thing is just NPC building yeah. because the players are treating this as if you, as if this is real life, everything has been <laughs> built by something, someone a yeah, hundred million years ago. Nope. It's like blah, coming right now. <laughs> You're building it with me, buddy. 
Dude, I had I had a stupid uh, gem shop owner who like they were like, all right, well, where'd you come from? There's not a lot of dwarves around here. Where and I like I don't know. She used to be a dragon slayer, and they're like, oh, that's super cool. I'm like, oh no, I made her too interesting. <laughs> so now I had to create this huge backstory, and she ended up being like, she joined the team for a while and like helped them. It's just it's nuts what your players latch on to. Yeah, you got to be prepared to jump into. And uh, I tell you what, making a magic school sounds like a fun idea. <laughs> you say this like somebody who's been beaten down. <laughs> it was so intense. It was, was it? super intense because when you make a school, it's not like making a town. A school has its own unique social qualms. <laughs> and so like pol there's politics in school. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, its own government. It, you much. might as well be making a city. You have to have a system, classes, curriculum, you know, how the teachers treat each other, treat the how kids. the students treat each other, the yeah. uh, the hierarchy of the student food chain. <laughs> You're just creating Hogwarts, my dude. <laughs> and I'm like, uh and at a certain point I'm like I'm, I'm, I might accidentally start describing Hogwarts. <laughs> so I just, I was like, I've, I didn't map out the school at all. Right. Physically. Right. Uh -huh. Because I was like, I'm not going to sit and build a castle school. <laughs> like that's, that's so counterproductive with time management. Yeah. And so the moment that started, I, I just slowly described like, oh, you run off to class. You go off to here. You go off to there. And it's like, where is this in relationship to the last place? Okay. <laughs> I then <laughs> I then just leaned on the fact that this is a magic school. Uh -huh. And I, I I did a couple insight checks to see if Allie, my solo adventurer, caught it. And I only hinted at it a little bit. But it's like, no direction is the same. Mm-hmm. Because it's a magical school. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so you just walk. Rem just remember <laughs> what I say. <laughs> nice. You went through this door last time, and it did not bring you to the same place. <laughs> Dude, I, I loved um, in your guys' show in Fables um, uh, a few episodes ago, um, they were going through the maze, the the labyrinth, and they went through the door a couple of times or something. Oh gosh! And then and then Ash is like, "How is how does that make any sense?" And then <laughs> and then Allie just turns and goes, "Magic, dude!" <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for Carter to be one to be a player of mine. Like, so when the the trouble for me is when making magical NPCs is like I have. At a certain point, I have no problem just coming up with bullshit. Sure. Like, they do this. Yeah. But the moment I say they do this, it's like, oh, what's the spell and the spell effect and the range? <laughs> Bring it up. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Making it actually fair and like a part of the game rather than just random BS that's thrown out. Yeah. So I have to now start memorizing magic. That's, yeah, man. That's so anti-time management but it's like so important. Thankfully, my series is not a multicam like live setup series. It's going uh -huh. to be edited, so I get to oh, cut okay. around the. Okay, let's stop for a second. Let me yeah. look this up. Yeah, no, that's uh, good. But it then 
it's entirely post based. Sure. And with like Fables of Refuge with Jared as the DM, the show is designed to be live, which is a lot of pressure. Sure. Uh, you have to like manage dead air as it's happening. You have yeah. to manage uh, quorums without breaking because it's going. And we're not live yet um, because just need a few more mecha- uh, like technical mechanical parts. But we also want to ideally have someone like a crew member to help. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause you're running everything. You need to be, you need a second pair of eyes to be seeing what's going on and how yeah. to fill in that stuff. I, I totally get that. I'm, I was honestly surprised when I found out only one person is doing the production. Uh, yeah. I you mean, do a good, you do a good enough job that I thought there was at least one other person with you. It takes about four hours to set up the set and yeah. the equipment. Yeah, and then at, once everyone shows up, everyone knows it. T- it'll take an hour to get to pictures ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then once everything's done, it takes another four hours to disassemble. <laughs> right. Once you once you've played for four or five hours, then you have to take it apart. Yeah. So four hours. We usually start recording around six p.m. Uh huh. So I start around noon, and. Uh, I often start before that because I'm just angsty to get that thing started. <laughs> I'd rather hurry up and wait than wait and hurry up. Yeah, I get you. Um, and then we, we we record for about three, four hours. So we're hitting around 10 o'clock and I got to uh, take everything down for four hours. Oh man, that's that's a long day. That's nuts. That's a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. So, um, you brought it up earlier that there's going to be a Gary Gygax, uh, documentary. documentary. Yeah. Uh, that's important to this conversation. Uh, for listeners who don't know, Gary Gygax is the, um, creator founder of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and he's kind of a, like you got Gary Gygax and you have Stan Lee, you know, like those are the two, the two big nerd names, I think at, at this point. Surprisingly, no one remembers. Well, I mean, not no one. Someone's going to get offended when I say that. Uh, but no one remembers the names of the guys who made uh, Superman and uh, sold Superman for a fraction of its worth. And they're still owed like millions and billions of dollars. Or the creator of Batman. Yeah, the not Bob Kane creator of Batman, the other one. Yeah. And, uh, Bat- and Batman and the Joker are just. Uh, superhero versions of Sherlock Holmes and uh, Moriarty, or how do you ever say his Moriarty. name? Moriarty. Moriarty. Yeah, the- that. No, I believe it one hundred percent. And it's something that Hannah and I. We. I don't know anything about the Superman one because I hate Superman, but I can get over. <laughs> um, the Batman guy, though, that's something that Hannah and I have talked about covering. If we ever did like a live show at a Comic Con, if we ever like do a panel or something. That's that's the sort of thing that we would want to try and cover because I think it fits our show and Comic-Con. So tell me about this Gary Gygax, Gary Gygax documentary. Uh, it's called The Dreams in Gary's Basement, a documentary on Gary Gygax. Uh, last year they ran a Kickstarter. Uh, they were hoping to get, let's see where it says it. They were hoping to get 25000 They got 100 and almost twenty. Uh, thousand. So yeah, it 
it's happening. Uh, they're putting it together. It is. They have a trailer on their Kickstarter. You can't support it anymore. You just kind of got to wait. It doesn't have a release date yet? It doesn't. Let me bring up uh, updates. And you can edit around this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> updates. May 17th, 2020. Backers only. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, pro- projected release date. I will know if I was a backer. Yeah. So, so they have a release date. Um, I can ima- I can imagine they're trying to go really soon with the release date because you know D and D is so hot right now. Yes, it is. Yeah, and this so even now, like we're recording this episode, it, this probably won't come out for a couple of months because we're going to be doing our um we're going to do a two part episode on Gary Gygax and Dungeons and Dragons for our show, our main show. Um, And I mean, it's, I'm hoping that it catches people's eyes because it is so uh, incredibly well accepted right now. Um, I mean, the, was that, was that my discord? I think my discord's open somewhere. I'm sorry. (laughs) What's that? I I, my di- my Discord boop. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always said, like, when you break down filmmaking, you go to theater, and you can break down theater down to like you just have people talking and sharing ideas and imagining with each other, and that is it's theater of the mind. That is what Dungeons and Dragons is. Yeah. Uh, my I made a, a point for what I'm recording for my. DMing experiences, there are no minis. Mm. No minis at all. Um, all, all imagination. All imagination. I have visuals. Okay. Accessible, like grids and maps, so I can make sure I communicate things correctly. Right. I think uh, that's, a, that's an interesting idea. I think I, I like that too, because when I was a kid, we didn't have minis. We, yeah. we didn't have almost anything. I think at, at best we had some grid paper that we would kind of draw something on and, you know, show a line or something. And, and we, we would just be like, okay, I, I attacked th- that guy. And, and then we're like, how far away are they? And they're like, Oh, I don't know. 80, 80 feet. It's like, great. Well, I can run 40 feet and shoot another 40 feet, yep. you know, and, and that's it was the communication. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's also, it's interesting when you use minis, I see this happen on, across all shows you say this guy that guy here there and this is also an audio like series right yeah Yeah. here there this that super open it doesn't convey story it doesn't convey story when you say uh you describe the space and you go how far away am i from the table or how far away am i from the window you're about 20 feet all right i'm gonna run to the window Right there, an audio listener had an amazing experience. They can just create that in their head. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's genius, man. I, I've never thought about that, but you're so right. Like, just telling a story in your action mm-hmm. keeps the story going. Yeah. It's now when you go to a video <laughs> side of that, you're like, okay, what's the catch? Like, we're video. <laughs> needs that thing yeah 
and it's like, all right, we will cinematic editing. We're not just going to do basic uh, live video. Right. To just like complement something exciting. It's kind of like in the Fincher direction is Fincher shoots a lot of camera angles and does a lot of fancy cutting around good dialogue, even though good dialogue is just static. Right. So editing has to make up for the lack of visuals. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I'm experimenting with a dice cam on this. Uh, and I and I know I know a lot of people have mentioned to me before, oh, you should get a dice cam. Dice, so people can see the dice. <laughs> and it's like, that doesn't matter. Right. It, it really doesn't. No, it's, it's, the, it's usually the reaction that people care about more than the dice itself. Right. But then the question for me was, how do you connect the dice roll and the reaction to that to the audience anticipation and suspense to the dice roll. Yeah. So if I say, go, go ahead and roll me a constitution save, you roll a 15, you, the audience doesn't know if that's good or not. Right. Right. But if you watch silence of the lambs, you know, if a decision was good or not, because you got to see what the bad guy sees. Right. You got to see some consequence or some good choices. So what I'm practicing with Ali on the solo campaign is I'm going to say the DC. Yeah. So you know, and the audience knows what you have to beat. Yeah, exactly. And I the audience that... can f share that fail, fail experience, uh, uh, that failed experience and that success all at the same time. Yeah. And I, I've seen that a lot in the dimension 20 show where uh, when Brennan does his, he will constantly say like, all right, I'm going to need you to pass a DC 15, you know, wisdom save or constitution save. He throws it out there. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and I noticed that because it does, it, it does for one, take me back to when I was younger and we did do that a lot more. We would raise that stake and be like, all right, go ahead and, you know, you need to beat 12, 17, look, if you're going to do this, you got to get a 20. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he set the stakes. He set that stake rather than almost the Matt Mercer style where it's like. like The mystery. Yeah, all right, go ahead and roll wisdom for me. And then they roll it and it's like, yeah, you didn't do it. And you, you have no idea how much you did or didn't do it. He generally tries to follow it up with an explanation or a, or a cinematic you know, yeah. narrative. It's very much more cinematic yeah. with him. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like for both the player and the audience, having that stake there is really important. It, it does connect your experience. Um, it's like watching, if you were to watch someone shoot a bow and arrow or shoot a gun in a gun range, uh -huh. everyone who's participating, both the audience and the shooter, knows the... Uh, the rules and the stakes and how the, the the system in place. Like, you can see if you hit the target, you can see if you miss the target. Right. And you and it's like playing golf you or any sports where you know if they got the goal or not. Right. And yeah. how much they missed and how much they didn't miss. Yeah. And that makes it such a, a more interacting experience and I'm trying to play with that mm. because if it's overly it like it take it is a different thing than not doing it but if you're not going to do it there are, 
the both they have different consequences they both have different pluses like not doing not setting the dc means that the players are completely trusting you yeah um uh, and then often it can lead to assuming i didn't roll good enough right and and you verbalize that and that can always uh even for an audience member or a player that can throw you off you're like oh you didn't get it because you're you you might be half here half somewhere else especially as a player you're like how do i help how do i do this right um but if you hear the dc then everyone's the player can engage with that yeah and kind of it it kind of makes the dm less of an antagonist agreed <laughs> like yeah you go all you got to do is hit a 15 man yeah. and you the dm and other people who know what you have to get, everyone around the table starts leaning in to, to watch the dice roll. Right. Because everyone knows if you're going to get it or not. And it's not up to, it's not, the, the dungeon master usually sets that based off of some cr criteria. You know, they're not just going, they're not just going, oh, I need you to beat this because. They're usually like, it's where I see it or where we play it is, like, okay, I want to jump on top of this monster's head and then I want to just smash my sword into its eyeball. Yeah. And then, and you know, that's a little bit more. I mean, like, you got to get a natural 20 or more above 20. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, that sort of thing. And, and so it almost becomes a conversation. And what I really like about the um, monster of the monster of the week system is it's much more of a conversation than just rolling dice. There is still dice implemented but it becomes a negotiation almost. And so the player comes to the DM and says, I want to do this really cool thing. And the DM says, great. I can allow that to happen within the story as long as the dice do this or, yeah. you know, as long as that. Yeah. And it's not so much a, a, all right, go ahead and roll for it. And then they roll and you're just like, nope, you didn't do it. Then, then it becomes the DM saying, no, you didn't do it. Yeah. It, it, it definitely has that feeling because I don't, when I was playing, I don't feel like the dice were an extension of my power. Right. It was constantly acknowledging the dice as a separate character. And it was an extremely interesting experience. Yeah. Um, I still have the power to fudge my numbers. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> to, what being to, a DM is about. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I learned very quickly the reason why fudging numbers is a valuable tool. Mm -hmm. It's, hey, this story is getting off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to at least reel it in a little bit. Yeah. And I have to, I, I try to make sure if I did fudge a number, I had a character or story consequence or something to like compliment mm. it as well. Yeah. Like, I'm hoping that if I do, in a split decision, it's like, if I fudge this number right now, what am I going to teach my player uh, about the game set, game system, game rules that are in this story? Mm -hmm. Because my player is only going to do things based off what they've learned how I'm building the world. Right. Like, it's kind of like laws. You got to learn the laws so you don't break them, <laughs> but then do whatever you want within them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, or you could just break the laws, <laughs> but you got to know what those laws are. So you're kind of like feeling it out and you're trying to role play. And it's like, all my character knows thus far about how this system plays out is if I'm always attacked by people through the left door, it would be horrible for the DM to put a good person coming through the left door. <laughs> because everyone's just going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You didn't learn. I, I didn't teach my player a way to question it. Right. Right. The, no, that's, yeah. You ha And you have to teach them through an, another NPC, ideally. Um, and that's super hard. It's like, how do I tell you this? piece of information <laughs> without just explaining it without explaining it and you're clearly wanting me to just explain it <laughs> yeah no and and i think i think like watching you've, you've walked up to three people that all have this clue <laughs> just get it already just oh, man. talk to them the dm's lament man it's for real and i think uh watching Jarrett play he's he's done a lot of really cool things that i really like on fables um especially like when they when the group was in that maze in in the labyrinth and you know things are getting a little sticky for them they were starting to kind of almost for me at least as a player i was like feeling like man this is starting to fall apart a little bit and he was really able to um lead them you know with with a lot of the information he was giving them and really help them get back on track and i i really liked that a lot I, and mm -hmm. i honestly made a note like oh i need to do this more often as a dm so yeah. that was good Jar jared's one of his best strengths are uh setting a task up that makes it hard for you to solve and he will sit there and let you solve it yeah but as a good human being, he knows when it's getting into the personal level. Mm, yeah. Uh, like there's a threshold of like your character solving something. You and in the play, you, and yeah. it would be this is this is personal. But in the middle is where you quickly can get over is joking time. Right. Like we're joking over like what if it's just that? What if it's just that? like okay we've gone out of us trying to solve it and we're about to get into personal like anger and stress. Yeah. Um, and on the side quest, me playing Milo, the mouseling rogue, um, his puzzle, Jarrett's puzzles are sometimes too tough for how I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I try doing, during that, I was like, okay, this is a perfect opportunity to try a new way of approaching these problem, these puzzles and problems as a player and I was like can I roll a wisdom to try to think about the solution to this problem mm. so in game my character is putting the energy to get feeded a, a clue or an answer yeah because I the player am stuck yeah and he he agreed and then he sat there and thought for a second of what a what the idea the clue is and then how to best communicate that to milo yeah and then i had to interpret that yeah uh dude i that and that's great because i've 
I've done one puzzle with the group that I run. Um, and I've done no puzzles. <laughs> I, did, I did one. I thought legitimately it was going to take them maybe maybe 45 minutes to do. Um, and it like to me, it was super simple. It was like this dial that basically like a code combination on a, you know, on a locker sort of thing. And, but then like it was glyphs, it was a little different images rather than numbers. And then from there, there was a key next to it that had like a, a code and then, but that's in an old language. So then somebody made like an, in based on newer language, a key and the characters had the key. So all they had to do was like this basic math formula, super basic. And if you know what you're doing, literally will take you five minutes, right? But right. it's figuring out what to do. And an hour into them doing this thing, um, they were going down the wrong road and it was getting bad because every time they'd try the lock, it would something spit would out. Happen. Yeah, it would spit out something <laughs> bad. And so like they're getting beat to hell. They're getting frustrated because they can't do the thing. So I'm like, I'm like texting each person like the thing, each character, how they would figure it out. Right. Uh, our smartest person at the table is playing the dumbest person in the party. So she has tough. Yeah. So like I'm texting each person parts of the answer so that they will talk about it, but none of them talks about it. They all just bring it up to like, Oh, well I'll do this and this. And it's like, no, 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 stop, stop. Talk to each other. You each have part of the answer. (laughs) It ended up taking them two and a half hours to do this thing. So, that's something Jarrett has brought up is you as the DM, you know, the answer. Yeah. So it's clear as day Uh, for us players. We don't know the answer on top of it. We only know what you have presented to us as clues thus far. And we may not recognize those as clues. And on top of that, we only know the setting, the system, like I was saying before. So, if if the players aren't sharing information to solve a problem and uh what you what that should be assigned to as what i would recognize as while damning is oh i need i need to somehow tell them not maybe not right now we'll just get through this hump yeah but i need to start telling them importance of certain things yeah uh, and then i need to punish them a little bit when they do it wrong so they know the consequences of that system sure and then once that's in place and they're doing well i then have to break that rule yeah and it's like oh you guys have to work together so i'll, I'll have like npcs maybe say that or show npcs working together getting something done better than them mm-hmm um, and then once they do work together, like first time, make sure they win. Like sure. they, they got, they learned it. Great. Now they do it again. They get better naturally and better and better. And then you force them to split the party. Yeah. And it's like, you, you can't be comfortable. What now, how do you split the party when you know the the design of the system is to be together? Right. Right. What creative solution are you going to come up with? Yeah, man. I, I think it's so cool. And I, honestly, it's why it's why I wish I could stop being a DM. 
I I'm tired of DMing because uh, I I think I could get better at it if I had a break from it a little bit and I can just play in other people's games and watch how they DM and watch them set up things and because I can analyze that I can figure it out as we go it's not going to ruin the game for me but I just I don't get to view that as much and that's why I enjoy watching online shows because I do get to see some of that yeah and Jared has mentioned to me he's like he cannot wait to be just a player. <laughs> he DMs our home game. He DMs Fables of Refuge. And it's like, he just wants to be a player. Yeah, we just all for a little bit. We and all just want to be a player. Our friend Tommy played, uh, did a Star Wars uh, one shot uh-huh. where Jarrett got to be a player. He had a blast. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much fun. Oh, man. Um, so... I think that's uh, – we've been talking for a little over an hour now. Um, so Fables of Refuge, what? where can people find that? Uh, Fables of Refuge is a show on our channel. We, we slightly renamed the channel to Just Fables, not to Just Fables, Fables. Uh-huh. Um, a couple reasons behind that is – uh, when we started the channel, the idea is Fables of Refuge is the name of the the only show that's being put onto the channel. Uh-huh. So, of course, it should share the, the name. That was the idea. Um, and we would pull back Refuge once we're putting out more and more content on the channel. Right. So, it's just Fables now. And uh, another reason is we picked up the the fact that uh, a couple fans were starting to call themselves refugees uh. and it kind of put us in an uncomfortable spot because even though using that word in that context is technically okay uh-huh. in public going around and saying I'm a refugee right in today's modern culture is kind of uh misleading and insulting to people who are actually in those situations it's a little insensitive insensitive yeah Yeah. so knowing that that was an issue that was just just starting to spark yeah i was like okay i have to like start uh start the engine on another show and more shows as fast as possible Mm um and because we don't we one we don't want to discourage the use of whatever name a fan base wants to use because right. it's it's theirs yeah uh, but we also want to control how comfortable we are sure um, but again that's second reason to the very first reason like that just became something that we became aware of we're like oh yeah <laughs> I don't so, we, don't know if we want that so. Refuge is is the world that the world that the current game is taking place in. Mm-hmm. Is it the the world where all of your D and D games are going to take place? No, uh, Refuge. The world of Refuge is where Jarrett's games are. Okay. Uh, my game is on a completely different world, different campaign setting. Sure, sure. That's cool. Is it going to be like I don't know what the name of your existence is but like is it fables of whatever it is 
Uh, it is and it isn't. Like, I'm trying to debate it. it I know that I want to call it Frost and Inferno. Okay. Uh, but I don't know if I want to call it Fables of Frost and Inferno. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds super cool. <laughs> I vote for that, man. And it keeps it consistent with being on the page. True. Um, yeah, and I have the the idea for my show is that it's new players every season. Yeah. So that means it's new characters and uh, new directions, new voices, and opportunity for different type of guest roles than it would be on Fables of Refuge. Right, right. That's cool, man. And then you also have classes in session. I have classes in session, which you guessed it on. Yeah. Uh, classes in session is our... It's a podcast where me and a couple friends talk about uh, TV and movie characters, and we try to figure out what D&D class that those characters belong to, and we try to break down a new way of looking at s- movies and how they design characters. Yeah. Uh, dude, I, I have to say, too, being on that show was one of the best nights I've had in a long time. Like, it was so much fun to hang out with you guys and... I, I hope I didn't get like over uh, over enthusiastic about talking D and D with you. Too no, much. like we, this is our second season on classes in session. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we just got done also recording one where we talk about Fast and Furious. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Did you break down like the main characters from Fast and Furious? Yeah, we boiled it down to like kind of top five. Yeah, The Rock, Paul Walker, uh, uh, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel, uh, Michelle Rodriguez, mm. and I think one more. Um, it's also like in season one, we learned like, oh, if we do, let's do 12 characters because that's a good like full cast. Yeah. That's about two to three hours. It's so much because you can it's, talk about one person for so long. Yeah, and so we're slowly learning how to structure and pace ourselves and cutting it down to about a half a dozen characters is roughly around the hour mark and then leaves a little extra room for banter. Mm. And then now we're also trying to track the timing per character. Yeah. Not yeah. really restrict, but like go, oh, the time is kind of up. So we once we're done on this train of thought, let's wrap it up. Right. Yeah. That's cool. So man. that's a that's a learning process. And then uh, there's Plash's... Plash and Friends. Plash and Friends. Which Plash is based off of Ash and Friends. Yeah. Which was going to be the group's party name. In Fables of Refuge, yeah. Right. But it turned into the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. <laughs> which is just great. <laughs> oh, every Jarrett and I's reaction when that happened, we actually look at each other and we're like, all right. <laughs> Starting a channel with the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Um, uh, and Plash and Friends is um, you guys just hanging out and talking? Yeah, it's a it's a Patreon live hangout. Um, and then what we're doing, what I, we're going to be doing is Patreons, Patreon supporters, and YouTube members all come to the live stream of it, uh, which is a unlisted live stream just for the supporters. We talk to each other about uh, the characters. We ask questions about character design or choices. We then answer a few questions from the the live stream or questions that were posted on the Discord. Mm-hmm. Wrap that up. And then 
a couple of days later, post it uh, as a public VOD. And so it's, uh, the idea is to have a behind-the-scenes content to the show that's being made, too. Yeah. And what better behind-the-scenes uh, than of a show, people talking to each other around a table, is a bunch of people talking to each other <laughs> even more. Exactly, yeah. Dude, I I mean, I, I get it. Just about every... Every session I play, you know, I play with my brother and cousins and and we play for like three or four hours. And then afterwards, everyone's like, oh, yeah, we got to go home. We got to go home. And yet we're all there for another two hours. Yeah. Talking about the game. <laughs> it and just what carries that up. Better. Yeah. And so I, I think every D&D show has to have a, a type of, you know, behind the scenes talk, chatting about the, the game itself a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's we started when we started it. It, the first few episodes are only patrons kind of like a quality thing and us just like figuring it out and it yeah. started as just a hangout sure um and we were constantly relying on only answering questions and it wasn't going anywhere and evolving as what i i personally see as could it could evolve as content oh yeah so it's now slowly leaning more and more into uh vodcasting vodcast video podcasting took me a second (laughs) so and then it just becomes more content the channel is producing uh which increases you know numbers on the system's end which then brings up the channel yeah and makes patrons patronage even more worth it yeah because the work is building up the channel yeah man Exclusive cool. content is hard. Oh yeah, I it's been one of the biggest reasons why Hannah and I haven't done a Patreon is because we're just like everything we do, I just want to give away. Like I want to do this. I don't want it to be exclusive. I want people to just enjoy it. So like how the, do we create that? Also the the viewership on exclusive content is less than 10%. Right. So you put all this work into the content. How can you, how, how do you get it returned other than people paying you directly? And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't help the machine grow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm too um, busy making this extra content for you. So I mean, like, my nose is itchy during a pandemic. <laughs> um, everyone watching this, if they're watching it, like, you know, they catch me rubbing my nose too much. Uh, I think early access content and you flavor early access differently. Like, oh, if you are a patron, you get to be part of the live viewing of it. And then the VOD is for public, you know? Right. Um, And then that limited number doesn't become a end result. It becomes a starting point. Sure. No, that's a good point. Um, Right now on on the Patreon side, I'm doing weekly vlogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, every week I'm going to be doing just a personal vlog check-in like two to five minutes and mm-hmm. just give it to patrons right away and that's yeah. 100% exclusive right um, because it's not uh, Fables is not a vlogging channel <laughs> right yeah that's that is you connecting with those specific mm-hmm. exclusive uh, patrons I think that's a cool idea man I'm I'm really excited for you guys um, I I 
man, I just, I love the fact that you're going out and you're doing it. It, it inspires me so much to do my own stuff. Um, and so I just, I want to thank you for sitting down and chatting with me. Of course. Yeah. Um, it's also important to note that fables isn't like my, my income. Oh, okay. Okay. It is, it's not, I'm still working as a freelance filmmaker to pay my bills. That is a good point. I figured, I mean, I knew you were doing some projects outside of Fables, but I, f I felt like Fables was like your it, thing. It's, it's, it's my hobby of Dungeons and Dragons and filmmaking slapped together. Sure. It, if it never grew to something that, to like pay my bills, I personally would be fine with that. Uh -huh. But it, uh, if it did grow to that point, I would be able to create even more, which is exciting. Yeah. So there's hope there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like YouTube ad revenue is nothing. Pa <laughs> right. pa the Patreon income just goes straight to investing in the channel. Yeah. And then I'm working a lot uh, as freelancer to pay my bills and then also invest more money into it to go even further with it. Sure. Yeah. So it, it's, it is a hobby on camera. And I grew, as a filmmaker, I know the amount of time that post-production and editing takes. And so my, my goal with it is to remove as much of that as possible. So it's just pure excitement and joy. Yeah. Um, and that's been a very passionate goal for it. Yeah. No, that's great, man. And and I think that's a good um a good thing to throw out there cuz you know, I like I said I was under the assumption that it is kind of your main income or or something to that effect. I like I said I knew that you were doing some stuff, but um but it does take a long time. It's not something that you can just start overnight and be like, "All right, well, I'm going to be a Twitch star or I'm going to be a YouTuber now." And it like you you have to work so hard to make anything happen. Um, and that's been the biggest thing that I've had to learn over the last like five to six years of really wanting to do something is it absolutely does not happen overnight. And, and you gotta be able to put, you know, you gotta put your 40 hours in during the day and then another 20, 30 hours, you know, a week at night for what yeah. you really want to do. Um, and, and work hard at it. Um, and like I said, I'm just, I'm excited to see a group of people who are not, you know, famous voice actors or already famous podcasters or college humor actors, you know, like they have, they have this foundation where they can try it out. They can do it. And their show is kind of already a success because of who they are. And you have a group of people like you guys where you're all trying to prove yourselves in this time as actors and, and producers and writers. And I, I love watching you guys grow and also like through Instagram and stuff, watching each of your guys' careers and how those progress. Yeah. Cause we're not, we're not famous to any degree. Uh, we're just normal people uh, putting ourselves on the internet, trying to tell and we're all storytellers in, in our own right. So right. we want to tell a story together, but how can you do that without, 
you know, traditional route, making a movie, making a web series in the sense of like, okay, we got to get this shot. We have to go to get this location and it becomes a production, not friends or peers hanging out, working together, collaborating yeah. and using and not using it's uh, a bunch of creative people investing and pushing each other on a creative, imaginary, mental level. Right. Um, yeah. I think that's cool. I think that's a great way of saying it. Cause it, cause you guys are like, not just in the, in the realm of what you're playing, but in the realm of, of what you're doing, each person has to sacrifice time to be there. And each person has to put themselves into the project as much as the others. I, I mean, I would say you probably put more in. <laughs> Since you're there four hours pre and four hours post. <laughs> As you can see, my my home is evolving into a studio. If I <laughs> if I turn up, there's homemade DIY soundboards that I'm building. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just there we go. It's uh it's an evolving thing. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with me. Yeah, it was, absolutely. It was so much fun. I uh, hope we talked about what you wanted us to talk about. We talked about film and Dungeons and Dragons and nerdy stuff. So we talked about nothing that I didn't not want to talk about. It was great. Cool. <laughs> so we'll end on that. Uh, do you, real quick, just so I know, and I'm going to do this while I'm being recorded. Do you prefer to be called David or Carmichael? Um, it's a mixed thing. Uh, I grew up in a military family, so Carmichael is just like a go-to thing. Oh, okay. And, and because of that, David has fallen to the wayside. Gotcha. Um, it's a, either doesn't matter. Uh, a lot of fans get blown away when they hear my name is David. Uh, I, I know that <laughs> most employers that I've ever had when they find out my first name's David, they're like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought you were Carmichael. You don't go by your first name? Um, yeah. All right. I, well, yeah. David Carmichael, thank you for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. Uh, one last time, where can people find your, your fun stuff? You can, you can find my fun stuff on the YouTube channel Fables. We make the show Fables of Refuge, Classes in Session, Plashes and Friends, and soon fables of frost and inferno Hey, you've committed to it i'm recording this <laughs> we we have a, a patreon page that helps support the channel so that way we can get to some awesome goals that we have lined out uh this is it's uh it's just a place to talk about fantasy storytelling improvised storytelling storytelling and dungeons and dragons yeah man it's great well thanks for hanging out and uh listeners as you probably have figured out by now i have no sign off so this is me awkwardly saying goodbye goodbye <laughs>